You are listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Rogakshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in going full crypto. What will make Bitcoin fail? From some of our past episodes, a really good friend of ours texted us and said they really enjoyed our podcast, but they had a question. How can they trust that Bitcoin will keep their money safe, even if it was hacked or something happened to the network? Now, this was a really great point. So we decided to make the next episode wholly dedicated to exploring what will make Bitcoin fail. So Murga, really soon after we launched our last podcast, a friend of ours texted us and said, uh, how do I know someone can't hack it and steal all my money slash bitcoins or put a virus on the network? And I really enjoyed this question. It showed me where my blind sides are. Like, for example, we, we both have com- our computer science degrees. So for us, we take the technical security of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency networks for granted. Right, because we know, okay, there's some cryptography behind it, and it's a distributed network, it's decentralized, of course it won't get hacked. But for someone who's not well-versed in that area, it makes sense that they would have this sort of question. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's go with the assumption that there are people in this world who have the same question. Because not everyone has a computer science degree. Not everyone knows the decentralized mechanism, all of the technical jargon that we are going to skip in this episode. And let's really get down to the high level language, surface level, explaining why Bitcoin will fail if it does. Right. So let's just take the the limit case, like the most extreme example of what would cause Bitcoin to fail. And the, the most obvious thing that I can think of is this if the entire world power grid were to suddenly shut off. And that would happen maybe due to like a large volcanic explosion or a solar flare from the sun, something that completely fries the Internet itself. And if that happens, yeah, the Bitcoin network may go down. Uh, for a little bit. For a, for a little bit until we get all our, our electronics back up and running. But also, I think if that happens, we've got bigger things to worry about. I'll stop talking about Bitcoin. I'll start talking a lot more about farming <laughs> and uh, worrying about where my next meal is coming from if that happens. Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, get into why Bitcoin as a network really cannot be taken down, even if it was hacked. Yeah, so... To put this really simply, uh, we we like to refer to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency networks as being resistant to censorship. And that goes along with the theme of not being able to be shut down. And the reason why these networks are not able to be easily shut down is because they're very, very widely distributed. They're not run in any one location. There's thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people or organizations running the network at the same time. Mm -hmm. In the last episode, episode number five, we talked about how mining works. And that goes into the same theory where there's hundreds of computers all around the world, if not 10,000s, like you said, Keegan, that are running the same code. And to simplify it even further, they're running the same software. They're all synchronized and running the same software which is known as the Bitcoin network and which forms the network for other cryptocurrencies as well. And because they're this 
really large community, they're a really large network, even if, say, a couple hundred computers go down or are attacked in any way, it's not the majority of the system. That's right. The, the entire network is able to remain intact, even if a small number or a large number for that matter were to be brought down in some sort of attack. And we call that decentralization, where as something that is centralized, let's just take a, uh, an example like Facebook, for example, that they're a centralized entity, right? So Mark Zuckerberg can be brought in front of Congress and ask questions. But there is no CEO of Bitcoin. There's no president of Bitcoin. It's not like we have someone to point to, uh, to ask questions and uh, to have a leader of Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin's without a leader and, and therefore it's very decentralized in nature. It's very difficult to shut down all of the computers at once, which would be required if you were to try to stop the Bitcoin network. For some of the other cryptocurrency networks as well that do have a leader of some sort who have come up with the concept of their particular cryptocurrency, those who have truly decentralized networks, which means there are hundreds and thousands of computers around the world that are running the same software to keep that particular cryptocurrency network going, they are still secure. So even if they are brought into Congress or whatever other courthouse and they're asked to shut down the network, it's really not up to them at that point because that same software is running on the computers of hundreds and thousands of computers all around the world. That's right. No one person has the ability to shut down the network, I think is the point here, which which means that's a very strong way for me to secure my money. Uh, one, let's just crush a belief here. My, my money is actually not stored in one place when I have money on, on a cryptocurrency network. It's stored in every single place that there is a computer that runs the network. So just to clarify, if you have your money on an exchange and exchanges are exchanges such as Kraken, Coinbase, ShakePay, all of these are places where you can swap essentially one currency for another. That's not what we mean, or that's not what Keegan meant when he said his money being on the cryptocurrency network. That is an exchange. That's right. Yeah. So... Go ahead, Keegan. Yeah, exchanges do represent these centralized entities in the cryptocurrency world. Uh, but if you hold your cryptocurrency in the most safest way possible, and I'm going to throw a term at you, it's called a non-custodial wallet. If you're holding your cryptocurrency in your own personal wallet, then your cryptocurrency is actually stored on every computer that is running that network. And it's very, very secure. And this is a mind-blowing fact because... There's really no other systems beforehand that have that much um, freedom and um, access to the public. Or let me rephrase that sentence. There really aren't a lot of decentralized systems in the technical world where people have the ability to participate in something all around the world. Right. Yeah. And the, the previous example of decentralization that we have and that the whole world knows about now is the Internet. The internet allowed us to decentralize information and news and content in general, right? That's what YouTube is. That's what Wikipedia is. Everyone's collaborating on YouTube and Wikipedia to bring more information to the forefront. And so the internet represents a decentralization of information, whereas Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies represent a decentralization of money itself. Absolutely. We've mentioned a lot of new terms in the past, I don't know, 10 minutes, Keegan. So I want to do a quick recap. We talked about um, decentralization. 
we talked about non-custodial wallets. That's the term that you introduced. And we will include a definition of non-custodial wallets in the show notes of this episode. So if at all during the period of this episode, you still have some questions on what that means, definitely refer to the show notes of this episode. Um, and we also talked about what will cause Bitcoin to fail. So let's have this conversation lead more into the security of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that use a decentralized mechanism. Yeah, so the security of any cryptocurrency hinges upon the cryptography that it uses. And that's as much as we're going to go into the world of cryptography. We are, however, going to talk about the implications of it. And so the question that our friend asked us was, what is stopping someone from injecting a virus into the network and stealing the Bitcoin or the money that I have on it? And that's what we'd like to address right now. And so essentially what's stopping that from taking place is the cryptography. It's very strong. And so in computer science, we have this notion of a brute force attack. And that's why a password of 123456 is a really bad password. It's because I can write a program that just guesses a lot of passwords in a very short period of time. And it's only a matter of time before I can guess your password, which is 123456. But with cryptocurrency, we have these ultra secure keys is what we call them. And these keys are really, really, really difficult to hack. And to illustrate this, I'm going to just give you an example. If I was to tell my computer, if I was to write a program to brute force your cryptocurrency wallet, it wouldn't be able to do that before the end of the universe comes. So it would take more time than there is time in the universe to hack your cryptocurrency wallet. And so I'm not worried with our current computational abilities that anyone would try to hack my cryptocurrency wallet. Cool. And uh, one more thing I wanted to cover about security is elaborate a little bit more on how your money is really not on your phone or your computer or your USB stick when you store your cryptocurrency on it. It just lives on the Internet. Right. Yeah. So uh, we just introduced the, the notion of these keys. And the purpose of cryptocurrency keys is to uh, they prove your access or they give you access to your cryptocurrency. Uh, it's what tells the network what you own. And so I can use my keys to move my cryptocurrency. The cryptocurrency is actually sitting on all of the computers all around the world. And my wallet that is on my phone or on my computer simply lets me move the cryptocurrency that's on the Internet. So it's basically an access point that you get into your money that is on the internet. That's right. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about the anti-spam mechanism that is also introduced as a means to prevent anyone from attacking the network too many times. Yeah. So with respect to Bitcoin, Bitcoin has a, uh, a fee attached to every transaction. And there's a reason for that. Bitcoin, as do some other cryptocurrencies. Yeah, most cryptocurrencies have a fee, and the fee is always paid by the sender. So if I'm sending you some cryptocurrency, I will pay the fee. Whereas right now, we're actually used to the merchant paying the fee. If you go to the store and you swipe your Visa card, the merchant is actually responsible for paying about a 3% transaction fee. Uh, for that service, for Visa to process your transaction. Well, in some cases, it's both the, the sender and the receiver. That's right. Yeah. Some debit transactions, the bank will charge you money. Yeah, to send money. Yeah. But 
let's there's um these attacks on the internet known as um DOS or DDoS and what that stands for is denial of service and what that essentially means is if there's too many people wanting to access a particular service then the, the particular service just cannot handle all of these requests um uh, from people wanting to access it and that causes the service to not be accessible to anyone anymore that's right and the dos denial of service is very appropriately named because that's what it is doing it is denying service yeah it forces the computers that are actually running google or facebook for example to deny service to all the other people that might want access to it because at the end of the day facebook and google they're run by computers and if we fire too many requests at those services in a too short period of time uh the physical computers themselves they'll heat up and they won't be able to sustain the amount of requests that is asked of them and the way that bitcoin handles this since it's such a distributed network and it's completely unbiased with who it gives access to it charges a fee it makes it cost money to spam the network it makes it cost money to use the network and so this really disincentivizes attackers from putting unnecessary load or requests or transactions onto the network. And even though the fee is can it can cost anywhere from cents to $10 if the network is really really busy congested, yeah. and congested for de- denial of services attacks the key thing to note here is you, there needs to be a lot of requests made to a particular service in order for the service to deny service at all. So in the case of Bitcoin the a spammer would have to spam the network by sending a lot of essentially dummy transactions but each and every transaction would cost a particular fee and if they caused the network to be more congested and busier by sending all of these attacks then the fee will go up from relatively and that in itself is also de-incentivizing a spammer from having the network be attacked That's right. The longer and longer that attacker is attacking the network, the more expensive the attack is going to be. And what are they going to gain at the end of the day? At some point, the, their transactions will be processed by the network, and the network will be back to being able to process transactions for regular users. And so their attack won't actually be useful at the end of the day. And what are they actually trying to do? Because there's there's thousands of computers running the Bitcoin network, and you can maybe bring down 10, 20, 50, 100 of them, but then there's still 999,000 more computers that are running the network. And so attacking a network such as Bitcoin is really unfeasible because um contra <laughs> Bitcoin's actually one of the largest supercomputers on earth. It's it has the most computational power, it's the most widely distributed. And so it's really unfeasible to attack and bring that down at this point. And so causing Bitcoin to fail through a DDoS attack is very very difficult. DDoS for those who don't know is uh, stands for distributed denial of service and DDoS is just denial of service. It's DDoS is just a, a more fancy way <laughs> of attacking the same service. That's right. Okay, so awesome. We've covered the anti-spam mechanism. I I do also want to cover how it is almost impossible to reverse a transaction on the bitcoin network or any other cryptocurrency network that uses blockchain technology and distributed ledger technology. Yeah, this is actually a really important point to cover because it's a point of contention with a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people don't want to use cryptocurrency for this reason. They like the ability 
to have transactions reversed. Let's say if my credit card is stolen and someone uses it to purchase $1,000 worth of goods on Amazon, for example, I can call my bank and say, yo, I, I didn't, uh, didn't actually make this transaction. Can you give me my money back? And the bank will say, yes, yeah, you didn't. Most times. Most times, that's right. Whereas, But that's also credit. That's not debit. Right. That's They're not actually using my physical dollars in my bank account. They're using my credit card. That's right. So this is not possible, really, with cryptocurrency. As we covered before, hacking my wallet is, uh, is basically impossible at this current point in time. And so I don't have to worry about as long as I have my wallet secure, I don't have to worry about someone gaining access to it and using it to purchase something from the Internet that I didn't authorize. And so that's really good. We really like that aspect about it now. And when it, yeah, when it comes to reversing a transaction on, on the Bitcoin blockchain or a lot of other cryptocurrencies and networks, one thing to note is that, say this instance, say for this instance, you are sending money, uh, sending Bitcoin to somebody else on the Bitcoin network and you mistype their their address so the way that you send money to anybody or send bitcoin to anybody on the bitcoin network is you have to um, enter this uh, bitcoin address which is a mix of uppercase and lowercase letters as well as numbers so if you just accidentally mistype any of any one of those letters it will not be sent to the sender that you wanted to send to and that is, again, an aspect of Bitcoin that turns a lot of people away because now you've just sent your Bitcoin into the void and you can never get back. All that really requires people to do is be very careful and attentive to the decisions that they're making while using cryptocurrency networks. In the beginning, like 11 years ago, yeah, you might have actually had to type out those big long addresses. But now uh, the user interface and the user experience of cryptocurrencies has actually improved quite a bit. And now you can scan a QR code with your phone or use copy and paste mechanisms so to ensure that you do not make a mistake. Uh, but the point is that if you do make a mistake, then it's irreversible. And it, so it requires you to be very intentional with how you use the cryptocurrency network. And this is a lot like email. I was just going to say, it's kind of like email. Once you've sent it, you cannot withdraw it. You can hope that you sent it to the wrong person if you sent an email that, you know, you didn't intend to send. But once it's sent, it's sent. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And there's no monetary implications or uh, um, casualties or what, what am I saying? <laughs> what am I thinking here? Repercussions to sending uh, an incorrect email. But if you send an incorrect Bitcoin transfer, yeah, that's irreversible. And, uh, and I actually like that because it, it makes me feel like I have more ownership and responsibility for the proper management of my money. Mm -hmm. Talking about the immutability aspect of having um, your money on a blockchain network is that, say, you've sent your money, you've sent a Bitcoin transaction to someone. And this is a really, really great security aspect of having it on um, a distributed ledger technology because no one can really go in and change that transaction to their own benefit. Um, or to the disadvantage of others. So if I send, Keegan, if I send to you 0 0.05 Bitcoin, you were, if you had malintentions and you really just wanted to have more, you, you can't go and change the number um, of Bitcoin that I decided to send to you. And nobody has that ability. Yeah, because they would essentially have to have that particular transaction be reflected not only on one computer, but each and every single computer that runs the Bitcoin network. Yeah, it makes it extremely difficult to change it. 
And, and this kind of brings us full circle to the term that we introduced at the start of the episode. We said that the Bitcoin network and most cryptocurrencies are censorship resistant. And that's really what we mean. Once a transaction's out there, it can't be changed, it can't be removed, it can't be altered. And we see all sorts of censorship taking place on social media platforms today. Uh, for example, I tried to share a link on Facebook the other day, and Facebook censored that link. <laughs> I sent it in just a private message from one person, myself, to another, and Facebook took it away and said, your, your message has been removed because we have deemed this content to be malicious in some way, shape, or form. And it wasn't. All it was was a referral link for a cryptocurrency exchange. And so I was censored for some reason. And that was me broadcasting a transaction in the form of a message to my friend. And Facebook decided that my friend was not, uh, <laughs> did not need to receive that message. Yeah, I have had this problem as well. And I tried to do a little bit more research on it. And it is because Facebook is trying to ban and um, censor malicious links from being sent on uh, on their messenger or on their platform and there's a lot of ways to go about thinking about this in your case it was unfortunate that your link your referral link was censored and like what right does facebook have to stop you from sending a referral link to somebody else but this is kind of like an anti-spam mechanism on facebook because if somebody's um, sending a link that um, is associated with a malicious website or you know something related to malicious activity and we know that happens a lot on facebook where younger people are sent links to websites that are also older people <laughs> younger and older people are sent links to websites where it's socially engineered to have them click on certain links and then either have a virus be installed or just lead them have them ask and be asked for money or something exactly yeah so i would just say that facebook's mechanism is not strong enough or intelligent enough to detect a good link from a bad link right so far it's a blanket ban whereas something like the bitcoin network has a uh, a blanket policy of not censoring anything yeah and i have also heard the crit critique that even though this can be an advantage advantage of some, what about all of the, the money being sent on the Bitcoin network for malicious purposes? And again, this is a great question to answer because there are tools, there are services that can track and trace the money that is associated with accounts or people using it for malicious activity. Unlike what the contrary opinion states, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network is actually traceable. You can trace each and every transaction. Anything that I send to Keegan or Keegan sends to me or anybody on the Bitcoin network is publicly available. All you need to know is the tools that you need to use in order to find out about a particular transaction. And the FBI is using those tools. They know about them. I, I did read an article yesterday that states that uh, the FBI thinks it's easier to track a Bitcoin transaction than to track cash in the black market. Of course. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and counterfeit cash and just tr the tracking and tracing of cash is, it's such a hairy topic. It's not easy. It's really not. <laughs> and analyzing blockchains, that's easy stuff. We can do that now. Because it's all digital and everything is recorded. All of the transactions are recorded. That's right. No matter who you are or where you're sending money from. Mind-blowing aspect. So let's talk about what would make the Bitcoin network fail. And then end that with what would make any cryptocurrency network fail. So I think the most realistic, and this is unrealistic in my opinion, but the most realistic scenario where Bitcoin fails is if 
everyone who is passionate about it, everyone who's using it now, stops using it. And that's because money is a belief system at the end of the day. What would cause Bitcoin to go to zero and to stop being useful is if people stopped using it. The only reason why it actually has value is because we have 100 million people on the planet, give or take, that are using it. And if those people decide to stop using it tomorrow, then Bitcoin would cease to be useful and it would die. And uh, here's a here's a quick fun, fun little fact. We're going to link this in the in the show notes. Uh, there's a website dedicated solely to finding or like posting all of the news articles where someone has declared the death of Bitcoin. And since 2009, Bitcoin has been declared dead like something like 380 times, which is hilarious because Bitcoin is definitely not dead today. It's sitting at fifteen thousand five hundred dollars Canadian a piece and. Sorry, small tangent there. <laughs> yeah, what, what do you think about the about that explanation of what would cause Bitcoin to die? We covered the solar flare thing, but I, I wanted to take that different... A volcanic eruption. Yeah, approach on it. What would cause Bitcoin to fail? I like how you suggested that... I know that you truly believe that money is a belief system, and it's not just you, it's a fact that money is a belief system because the form of money has changed throughout generations. We weren't like tens of thousands of years ago, we didn't use paper money. We used shells or stones in some parts of the world. Gemstones, gold and silver. Exactly. Gold and silver was the last thing that we came off of. And then we came onto the gold standard. And now we're off of the gold standard in most countries anyway. So what would cause Bitcoin to fail is, yes, I agree. Everyone who currently believes in it would need to, for some reason, at the same time, need to stop <laughs> believing in it or be passionate about it. That's one, one, the one thing that would cause it to fail. The other thing that would make the network from ceasing to exist is the only other reason that I can think of that would make Bitcoin fail. Actually, I just thought of a third one. If governments manage to correctly execute the censoring and um, making illegal of holding Bitcoin, that, that could be a reason for Bitcoin to fail. But Governments have to take some heavy action in order to execute that because Bitcoin is a world currency at this point and all governments would have to work really hard to deny someone from using the internet. Um, I don't mean to bash governments or anything, but uh, they, they can't really coordinate uh, most things correctly, <laughs> <laughs> at least amongst their own borders. Yeah. Uh, what you're talking about is a massively uh, a massive coordination amongst all governments. Right, because even if we have uh, a farm of Bitcoin computers sitting in in Russia, and Russia's not on board with this massive censorship, then the net the, the Bitcoin network is still usable in some way, shape, or form. What you're talking about is every single government at once coordinating this massive censorship. Exactly, but and they would have to have a really, really massive change of heart because you mentioned Russia, and Russia just recently made it legal to hold digital assets. Um, even again recently uh, in the U.S., banks are now able to hold crypto assets right. for for users for for their customers. So it doesn't look like <laughs> governments are planning or scheming to stop Bitcoin. No, it, it kind of looks like we're all trending towards adoption. Yeah, exactly. So there are three reasons. One, some sort of massive natural disaster that 
destroys the internet as we know it. Honestly, I think that's the most likely, just putting that on the record. <laughs> yeah, with the current state of the world, yeah, Kik and I, you might be right. Uh, the second thing is if everyone who's currently using Bitcoin just stops believing in it. And you and I, you and I won't stop using it. So at least the network will exist between the two of us. So that won't happen. That's true. We'd probably be in a cave somewhere that has some sort of secret <laughs> internet connection. Uh, and then the third one would be if there was a coordinated government action on censoring and delegalizing the usage of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency networks. Right. Is delegalizing a word? It's good enough, I okay, think. Okay, yeah. I just invented it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we've we've talked a lot about Bitcoin. And the reason why we always bring Bitcoin to the surface of any of the topics that we cover is because Bitcoin is the currency that anyone who isn't familiar with cryptocurrency knows about. It was first to market. It has the largest adoption around the whole world. It has the largest market capitalization. And we don't need to get into the definition of that. But all you need to know is that it is widely adopted. It's the base case for understanding all other cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Most times, if we walk up to someone on the street and we say, hey, cryptocurrency, what do you think? People say Bitcoin. It's like, hey, have you heard of Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that uh, weird internet currency, right? But if we say, hey, Ethereum, what do you think of Ethereum? People's eyes glaze over and they don't really know what we're talking about. So most of our conversations will be talked about within the context of Bitcoin. But if you're interested in learning more about other cryptocurrencies, uh, we will be discussing this at, uh, at length in future episodes. Absolutely. And if you have any requests for a particular cryptocurrency that you would like to be explored in depth by the both of us, please email it to us at ready at gofullcrypto.com. We're more than happy to indulge in your requests. And now that we're at the end of the episode, it would be amazing if you could take a moment to like, share, subscribe, and rate our podcast on whatever podcast app that you're listening on. We're on Apple, we're on Google, and we're on Spotify. And very, very soon, we're going to be on YouTube as well. That's right. All right, that brings us to the end of this current episode. Thank you for everyone tuning in, and stay tuned for the next episode.